Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and our show, you know, it might as well just be in cruise control or autopilot or, you know, just free to take a nine-year nap while the Bavarians take the wheel for us. Whatever else goes on in German football, it seems that at the end of the season, it's always the same. Nick, how did you take in FC Bayern München's ninth straight Bundesliga title. I was actually stuck at work for that, so I, I sort of um, caught bits and pieces of uh, of the action here and there. But I think you know what one looks like, you know, Bayern winning the title. Yeah, it's sort of like the level of excitement for for those celebrations. They they tend to be a lot greater when you see like Inter in Italy winning its <laughs> their first title in over a decade. And talking about being at work, sorry about being a bit late this week, dear listeners. Usually we're there on a Tuesday for you. This time around it's uh, on Wednesday is because my, my work schedule has been rather hectic and, you know, all I have to think about whilst I'm being stuck at work is that what I wanted from life was to drink Roderer champagne whilst earning a fortune overnight, but instead I'm stuck at work. Drinking too much coffee, studying papers that I don't understand, putting them back into a file, and things could have been that simple in life, I thought, but obviously they weren't. Dang. Okay, well, this week we do have plenty to talk about. We've got uh, Bayern winning another title. We've got an intriguing race about uh, who will make the Champions League a somewhat less captivating stroll in the, in, the, in the general direction of the UEFA Europa Conference League. And we also have a, a five and maybe maybe even six-way tussle to beat the drop. Don't go away. Right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. This is the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This week it was, uh, you know, match day 32. That is the third match day from last, which means everything means so much. And, uh, you know, to be fair, some games, you don't, it's not a tough sell. When you're the best of the match day, sometimes the, the chips just fall into place. For example, Dortmund versus Leipzig. This was uh, high drama in this game. Not only the way that it turned out, it was a 3-2 win for Borussia Dortmund. We'll talk about how that happened in just a moment. But it was also a dress rehearsal for Thursday's DFB-Pokal final. Yeah, Dortmund, they basically had the edge for the first hour of this game. They scored early in both the first and the second halves, but, you know, had one of their <laughs> typical phases of passivity, carelessness to let RB back into this game. However, Jaden Sancho uh, got a winner three minutes from time. Nick, okay, I know I did, and I think you probably too, uh, wrote off Dortmund's Champions League qualification chances after that loss to Eintracht Frankfurt on match day 27. That's correct. They were, yeah, yeah, they were seven points back from uh, the top four at that stage. Do you want to first, or should I uh, turn in my pundit's license? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Dietmar Harman is in, in charge of collecting those uh, for, for, you know, of pundits who make worse predictions than Dietmar Harman. <laughs> He's the head bad um, pundit in charge? Yes, he is. He and Mario Basler, obviously. Nah, but listen, I mean, a lot has happened at Eintracht Frankfurt, and it shows how fragile a team can be. And in this case, it's it's not Borussia Dortmund we're talking about, but obviously Eintracht Frankfurt, who've taken four points from the last four matches, whilst Borussia Dortmund now on a winning streak of five straight wins after that loss to Frankfurt. 
Because Frankfurt, basically, their coaches left, their sporting directors left. I mean, there's a lot of upheaval within the club. And, uh, you know, there are even now articles in Kicker uh, criticizing Adi Hütter for, you know, being a poor example to his players, uh, which, you know, are harsh words by Kicker standards. It's not necessarily a tabloid magazine, this. They're not like Bild, who are sort of trying to put in the knife and twist it around. But, um, are, are we are we skipping ahead to the part of the podcast where we talk about Eintracht Frankfurt now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of trying to explain why Borussia Dortmund has been able to catch you're just, up. You're just providing extensive context. I do, <laughs> in order to say that it was it would have been crazy to predict Dortmund getting to the Champions League at that stage. I mean, but you know, turning to the match, yes, Dortmund still have some problems, but yeah, they they are. They are a great team, and uh, what what's basically been changing for them over the last five matches compared to what's been going on before is that they are taking their chances when they need to. And, you know, I've mentioned it before, uh, Thomas Miller has coined this brilliant phrase, which he calls uh, luck within the game. You know, you need to be able to get that goal at the right moment in order to have luck on your side, because... Um, you know, when you don't take those chances, you are going to get punished at the other end, uh, especially against sides like RB Leipzig. But, you know, Dortmund did take their chances when they needed to. Um, and even overcome, uh, you know, losing a two-goal elite and uh, winning the game in the end, which, uh, you know, by their standards this season is, uh, is a tremendous performance. Yeah, yeah. And this, you know, I think what was <laughs> what really stood out to me i, I guess and, and it was one of those things that you could not help but notice considering the way the uh the television directors seem to be uh putting the game together hardly 5 minutes could go by without them showing erling holland in the stands not playing not on the bench uh and still dortmund found the firepower to get you know, three goals against a very tough team, against a team that plays, you know, a very secure brand of, of defense. How much confidence does this give you for Dortmund heading into that uh, cup final on Thursday? I mean, you know, Dortmund, it seems to me, are probably more concerned about making the Champions League than winning the cup. But, you know, for Leipzig, they have Champions League football secured maybe maybe they're the ones who are a little bit more sort of up for it on thursday <laughs> well uh don't know two for two against rb leipzig this season true, and, uh, true. Actually, there was sort of an interesting disagreement between julian Nagelsmann and marco royce after the match because uh, both of them were asked um what does this match mean and to in and you know in the run-up to thursday's night's uh, big match and uh, royce said well it doesn't mean anything Walt Nagelsmann disagreed with him, saying, well, you know, you, you see how the team's set up and you see the sort of specific thoughts of your of the opposition's coach. And, um, of course, you're going to consider those things and take that in with you into your preparation and uh, obviously do some slight tweaks here and there to your lineup and to your tactics. And so, obviously, it's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like speed chess when you have, like, one match between two players starting and right after that match has finished they're playing another one so it's sort of about learning what your opponent is doing and how you can react better to that the next time around mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in truth if we got essentially a carbon copy of this game you know five goals and uh, a very very late winner obviously i i maybe have slightly more sympathy for one side than the other 
slightly. <laughs> but, I, you know, I wouldn't send this game back to the kitchen if I got it again on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, both of us have slightly more sympathy for one side than the other. As I see, you're taking a sip of a can that is designed to give you wings. Um, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? This is a Yeti. <laughs> this, it's it's no, just water. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? I think I think both of these teams are pretty much designed to counterattack and to press and counterpress and to play high intensity football for ninety minutes. So I think it would rather surprise me if we get a match that is really super cautious and ends in a nil-nil draw after ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, I would be shocked by that as well. There's just there's too much quality and too much uh, sort of natural ambition in these sides. I guess one thing that comes to mind in light of of Bayern's title, I think, you know, we've let the cat out of the bag. The bag has been more or less open for the, the last few months of the season. There was not a lot of suspense in that. But this game, both in the fact that Dortmund's win in it, you know, enabled Bayern's uh, officially claiming the title and the fact that this is in most people's minds, uh, the sort of second and third powers in the Bundesliga. I mean, Dortmund haven't quite overhauled uh, Wolfsburg yet to get into third place, but they, they still have a chance. What's missing? What is missing from Leipzig and Dortmund? These, over the last several years, have been the two teams who have pressed Bayern the hardest, but both of them have, um, you know, come up wanting, essentially through, you know, periods of, of you know, off-color form. Hmm. What is missing? <laughs> If I knew, I probably would be working for Dalton right about now. <laughs> if they'd have you. If they'd have me, yes. Well, listen, I think I think it's a, it's a whole host of things. I think, first of all, for six of these nine seasons, Bayern haven't really been there for the taking because they've got so much money and they're so superior in, in the way they're set up financially that if they play their cards right and play their, spend their money right, catching them is always going to be nearly impossible so you need them to make mistakes but for the last three seasons we've both sort of had a feeling that this side is sort of aging a little they're slipping up a little at times you know you had that season where you had both Ribery and Robin still playing and um, suddenly Dortmund had a had a gap at the top of the table and you saw like oh well, well there you go gap is a lot bigger than three points so this should be Dortmund's uh, turn but what's basically missing from from this Dortmund side is stability it's it's been surprising to see how often they've lost or drawn matches against lesser oppositions from the bottom half of the table and you know when you see those seasons where they just came second and where they had a lead over Bayern in the table and then you run down the sort of the results and you see sort of see like the points that Bayern are leading with at the end of the season, they're not necessarily the the matches between them and Borussia Dortmund that were decisive, but it's, it's those three three draws against Paderborn and such that cost Borussia Dortmund dearly. Losing to Cologne, drawing with Cologne. Yes, you know, I mean that that's five points that you you should get when you're Borussia Dortmund. So it's sort of difficult to see why Borussia Dortmund, with all their quality, should do this time and time again. And, you know, do this under two different coaches. But honestly, I, I don't know what it is. If it's a, it's a mentality issue, if it's a issue of, you know, players maybe being played too often or, you know, being pushed too hard. 
it's or if it's a coaching issue with uh, coaches at Borussia Dortmund not necessarily always getting their tactics right or prioritizing the right things. It's really difficult to tell, but I think, uh, or you know, my guess would be is is that it's the combination of a, a lot of those things combined. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems that squad construction at Dortmund, despite the fact that it's very fun and exciting to watch them on on their best. It's just not designed for consistency. I mean, many of their very best players are their youngest players. Um, you know, your Sancho, Bellingham, uh, Holland, and, and even some of the guys who have not quite gotten all the way there, you know, people, people like Giorena or whatever. And then you have a couple of sort of legend types like Marco Reus and Mats Hummels, who are, let's face it, past their best. And then a lot of guys who are very fine Bundesliga players, but like, you know, Thomas Delaney and Mo Dehoud would never come even close to getting in the Bayern side. It's just, they're not quite there. And the players who are the their best players who would maybe get into a Bayern side are so young that maybe they, you know, maybe they would get dropped themselves because they, uh, you know, don't bring it every week. Yeah. Well, I think it's a conscious, conscientious choice by, by Borussia Dortmund to invest in those youngsters because i mean that's that's what Borussia Dortmund have sort of been doing on the transfer market they they find these gems at an early age and bring them in on the cheap and once they explode you know they they sell them for for profit that you know that looks really really nice and healthy on paper and um you know given that it you know economically speaking it proves them right because they make a lot of money off that strategy but in terms of winning trophies it might not be conducive to to doing that though yeah yeah and and you know they they put their money on the strategy paying off in this brief window of having you know having a basically a handful of of potential like world stars coming good at the same time and staying good enough for a couple of seasons they might get a title out of it and you know they, they might get a dfb call title <laughs> but uh you're not, not going to win the league that way. Yeah, I think uh, one point we should also mention in, in this regard is, is the last time Borussia Dortmund won the championship was under Jurgen Klopp. And obviously during that first season, they won that championship under Jurgen Klopp. That sort of gig-pressing tactic that were used by Klopp's Borussia Dortmund back then, it they shocked the Bundesliga. The league wasn't used to those tactics. And, you know, everybody has obviously caught up to those tactics now. They're, they're commonplace. So Borussia Dortmund or any other teams they don't have a tactical edge over Bayern Munich right now and you know if you can't make up for you know lack of money and resources and you know having the worst player material at, at your hand in terms of tactics it's always going to be difficult to catch Bayern Munich yeah yeah I agree I agree and you know I, I think that in many ways them finally getting hold of someone who is perceived as a master tactician in Marco Rosa is a really good thing. I mean, I, I think um, he, he's a definite upgrade on what they've had pretty much from anybody since Tommy Tuchel. Unfortunately, <laughs> Bayern just got a tactical genius of their own in Nagelsmann. So, you know, may, maybe that's all much of a muchness. Let's actually move on. Let's let's move on to talking about Bayern and Gladbach or, you know, at least talking about Bayern and, and where they stand, etc. I mean, we already mentioned that, that Dortmund's win handed them the title even before before kickoff. And we already mentioned that, that Bayern, this was their ninth straight Bundesliga title. 
It didn't mean that they were sort of walking out on the pitch ready to, you know, sort of half-ass it, though. They um, basically completely destroyed Gladbach in this game. Robert Lewandowski got the quickest goal of his Bayern career in this one, just into the second minute. Got another one before the half was up. Uh, ended up with a hat trick and a big 6-0 win for Bayern. Lewandowski just needs one more goal to uh, go level with Gerd Müller. And, uh, you know, I guess... Two more, three more, four more. Let's let's get ambitious here to uh, set a new record. I thought it was damn decent of Bayern <laughs> to put on a show like that, despite the fact that they already knew they had won the league. I mean, the best way to sort of fight the inertia, the boredom, whatever, of of them winning title after title after title after – okay, I'm not going to do it nine times uh, – <laughs> is, is to actually play good football, which, you know, they mostly do, but occasionally they don't. And this was this was a masterclass. It was, it was, absolutely. I mean, it looked like uh, the senior side taking on, you know, the under 15th, just completely steamrolling them. I don't think that Borussia Mönchengladbach had any chance to, to get anything out of that match. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Robert Lewandowski being very close to that Gerd Müller record. And, uh, you know, I, I took a look at, at the numbers there and then I suddenly found out that, hey, Gerd Müller is the most scoring player in the Bundesliga's history. But hang on, Robert Lewandowski is only 90 goals away from him now. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be set to playing at least another two or three years. Yeah, yeah. And he even made some comments that he definitely wants to see out his contract uh, at Bayern, which just goes on for another few years. So, so I mean, I think he's got a chance. At that pace, we might be, you know, we might be talking about right now being in the midst of watching the, what might very well, you know, become the Bundesliga most legendary striker ever when, you know, the history books are written 20, 30 years from now. Which um, is, a, is a great thing in terms of, you know, being able to witness history and all, all that. At, at the end of the day, Bayern München thoroughly deserved their title. They've been so efficient in front of goal this season. Their XG in terms of uh, the goals they've scored and the goals they should have scored is incredible. And, uh, yeah, they, they are truly a side that is filled with individuals who are so keen to win that they do anything to achieve just that. Yep, yep. And, you know, of course, Robert Lewandowski is so crucial for this team. I mean, you mentioned that sort of outscoring the XG factor. I mean, he's he's been a huge factor in that. He's sort of, you know, made way more of his chances than, than one would ever have expected. And, you know, he's been crucial in, in, in a sort of his – his absence was crucial. I mean, we saw that basically the only dip that we really saw Bayern get sort of someone get the better of Bayern was uh, Paris Saint-Germain without uh, Robert Lewandowski. I mean, had he been there with the chances that were being created, I guarantee they would have advanced in that in that uh, two-leg tie. So I, I feel like the way that this team is constructed right now, and it is going to get better potentially next season they are you know they're going to lose out on you know the likes of Hansi Flick of course but you know David Alaba's moving on Javier Martinez is moving on but you know they they're getting reinforcements from Leipzig with with Nagelsmann and Dio Upamecano is there any reason to think that next year the next several years aren't going to be more of the same with with you know Bayern winning titles and Bobby scoring goal after goal after goal <laughs> no <laughs> No. You have a look of resignation on your face. It's you have a sort of uh yes, because- somewhat uneasy smile. I'm yes. going to describe Nick here. How are you fe- how do you feel about this? I mean, you you've 
you're a, unlike me. I didn't catch the Bundesliga bug until I was already, you know, into my thirties. You've you've basically been a lifer, so you know that this run of nine titles in a row from Bayern is an outlier. Like Johnny, come lately to this league, think that this is the way the Bundesliga has always been. But even I, even I, who's only been watching this league for you know fifteen, sixteen years. Know that this is an outlier. Like, this is not a league that one team dominates forever. I'm, I'm pretty sick about it. Are you? Of course. Of course. I mean, I remember, you know, I remember the good old days and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sounding like an 80 year old man, but, you know, we don't have to go back this far. And, uh, Bayern München tended to slip up every second year. It was sort of, they won a title, then they slipped up, and suddenly VfL Wolfsburg, or VfB Stuttgart, or Werder Bremen, or, you know, a whole host of other sides came in. You even had Kaiserslautern, for crying out loud, winning the Bundesliga in 98-99, uh, after being promoted from the Bundesliga 2. And, you know, not, not having that excitement of who is going to win the Bundesliga at the start of the season, it's saddening, really. But, you know, but it goes to show why the, these thoughts about European Super Leagues are now emerging, are being formulated more clearly, and why these initiatives are taking place. Because, you know, the, the gap between the, the richest clubs of Serie A, the Bundesliga, the Premier League, and the rest of the bunch, it's, it's gotten so wide that no matter what you know, the rest of the bunch does, they're never going to be able to catch the, the guys at the top of the table. And obviously, some of the guys at the top of the pyramid are thinking, well, you know what, let's make more money, we do our own job. Whilst, you know, fans like me would think that the more logical route to go is to say, okay, that Champions League money, we're going to send at least 50% down the division from, you know, those teams reeking it in. Because... Playing in the Champions League is giving you such a massive advantage. And one season in the Champions League means basically that, you know, you can outbid and outbuy 17 other teams in the league, basically. Or, you know, 13 other teams in the league. And, um, I mean, those those are the things that have to be addressed. And as long as they're not addressed, well, basically stuck here, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, since you brought up the European Super League, which, you know, of course, has turned into something of a punchline uh, <laughs> ever since it was uh, proposed. And I get it. I, I too thought it was a dreadful idea, but the idea at its bedrock of getting some of these super duper clubs who basically play in a league of their own anyway into their own league, I get it. I mean, if you were to say put a pan European top division on top of all the other pyramids, you know, and let those teams just play each other, but they have to get their own merit. I would be completely fine with that. I would, if Bayern wanted to go play against, you know, Real and Chelsea and, you know, whoever else, as long as they got in there by merit and then, and not play in the Bundesliga anymore, I would say, <laughs> see ya. See ya. Yeah. I mean, if and you, I would not, I would not mind that at all. I mean, if you, if you had, um, if you had a European Super League that, you know, is not regulated through like, okay, we have those 15 teams and they're going to be there forever. Yep. Yep. And instead you'd say, okay, there's going to be promotion, there's going to be relegation, and there's going to be some sort of system. And, you know, suddenly you get a story like, oh, look, Rosenberg from Norway is coming up into the European Super League. I mean, I'd probably be against it at first, but, you know, I, I, I could swallow that camel in the end, probably. But, you know, the, the way this 
monstrosity was created by Florentino Perez and uh, Agnelli uh, over at Juventus. Uh, you know, it just reeks of old man wanting to make more money and uh, Florentino Perez then having the tenacity to go on television saying, well, you know, we're doing this to save football. You know, we're losing so many millions and millions and millions and millions and we're doing this to save our own skins. Don't you tell us what we should do. I mean, come on. Maybe you should think about not spending money the way you've been spending the money for the last 30 years. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and Bayern, to be fair, they, Bayern are also the club with all the constraints that they have between 50 plus one, between the fairly stringent financial um, regulation regime that, that all German clubs operate under. You know, they can't operate like a like an English or a Spanish club. The fact that Bayern are able to win so many titles in a row and be in the Champions League, you know, the last four, basically almost every year. The way that Bayern runs their club shows up the entire rest of the world. Like, you know, if you're basically Real or Barca who just basically spends all this money you don't have, or if you're City or Chelsea who spend, you know, the sugar daddy's money, of course you can probably win a lot of games. But, you know, Bayern are just <laughs> – they embarrass the rest of the European football firmament by being as good on and off the pitch as they are. So I I find it very boring <laughs> the way that they win all the time, but I respect it. <laughs> yeah, let's drink some apple wine to that, right? <laughs> yeah, let's drink some apple wine. Or, you know, maybe maybe not. Maybe some, you know, well, I, I guess in this case, it's probably like warm, flat apple wine, which is not the way you want to drink your apple wine. You want to have crisp, cold, you know, effervescent Apple wine, by the way. And the reason why this, this apple wine is kind of off was because Frankfurt, uh, who, you know, we thought we're going to be getting into the Champions League this coming season. Their prospects are dimming. They got a 1-1 draw with Mites on the weekend. You know, since they beat Dortmund and Wolfsburg in successive weeks, those are their two biggest rivals for qualifying for, for the Champions League. They have won just one game in four. They are now down to fifth. They are, you know, behind Dortmund as things stand. What, what do you think has gotten into them? <laughs> I think I mentioned it that at, at the top of the segment. Uh, I think, you know, all the unrest that has happened with Adi Hütter joining Gladbach, uh, Freddie Bobic joining Hütter. You know, it's, there's been a lot of uncertainty and, the, you know, the, there's, there's gotten an uneasy to into that team that clearly shows it's sort of like when i watched when i watched this match what struck me was the fact that you know the eintracht from four or six weeks ago once they would have conceded that goal they would have gotten back at mine saying well you score one we'll score at least three and that wasn't there and additionally you know it seems like players are more uncertain and you know additionally when when kevin trop probably one of the best keepers in the league this season uh, when he makes such a such a mistake where he just lets the ball slip into the goal that wasn't that was shot from far out that wasn't all that well placed had the lowest xg of the match day by the way you know you know you're in trouble yeah yeah i i too am very concerned about eintracht and i'm 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 a little sorry about that because you know of of the sort of outsider duo that we have uh, of them and Wolfsburg. I certainly think that they are the, the sentimental favorite. Looking at their run-in, you know, Eintracht's and Dortmund's and Wolfsburg's run-in, briefly, maybe we consider can consider those things. Eintracht are away to Schalke, which, hey, 
I know what that means. Also considering Schalke have uh, two coronavirus positives and counting in their squad. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll see if the game on Wednesday against Hertha even takes place. And then they're home to Freiburg. Those look like very winnable games, although uh, Eintracht have managed to lose some winnable games lately. Um, Dortmund, on the other hand, they are away to Mainz and home to Leverkusen. And uh, Wolfsburg are, let's see, Leipzig. they have Leipzig away and then Mainz at home. I still I, I still think Frankfurt is in with a shot for this. You know, I mean, when you look at Wolfsburg on the table right now, uh, <laughs> you know, being ahead of uh, both Dortmund and, and Frankfurt, you would think, okay, you guys look pretty safe. But when you look at those two last matches and you, know, you look at the sort of form that Mainz has been in over the last nine weeks, you know, not losing any of their matches over the last nine match days. And additionally, you know that RB Leipzig always is going to get the game to them and uh, going to ask a lot of questions of them. And you suddenly think, well, Wolfsburg are in here with a lot to lose. And, you know, uh, as we've mentioned last week, and uh, don't mention it again, Mainz is sort of the joker in this sort of race to the Champions League because they've shown themselves to be capable of capable of, of taking points of any teams in the league right about now under Bo Svensson. I mean, they, they won against Bayern. They've taken a point against Eintracht Frankfurt now. Onisivo even had a chance to make it 2-0 and that would have been it probably in this match. So they could have taken three against Eintracht Frankfurt as well. So, yeah. You could definitely see Borussia Dortmund struggling against Mainz and you could definitely see Wolfsburg struggle against Mainz. Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting how, you know, when, when Mainz began going on its good run under Bo Svensson, I think the caveat in everybody's mind was that, like, you know, just wait because their run-in is brutal. <laughs> you know, they're playing a string of, of you know, top six sides, and um, as good as they are now, maybe that's going to – their, their luck's going to run out. And like, the conventional wisdom has completely flipped on that. Now, like, all these teams who are trying to get into Europe – they're the ones who are afraid of mites, who, you know, they might have won, once upon a time thought that this was a team that they could at least get a draw, if not a win out of, that, you know, mites is, mites are good now. Mites are straight up good. Just sort of looking ahead, and I know that, you know, who knows what the future holds, considering mites is something of a selling club, and, you know, maybe this good run of form under a new coach is something that's going to sort of dissipate over time, but... Can we expect uh, Mainz to be perhaps even a European contender next season? Because <laughs> they've been playing like it ever since Svensson took over. Well, not at the start of Boseman's reign, to be fair. I mean, that nil-nil draw against Schalke, that yeah. was truly one of the most horrifying moments in <laughs> Bundesliga history. I think it was one of the two matches that Kicker rated as... Gave, it gave it the grade of six. And, uh, you know, most our listeners are probably not going to be familiar with the German grades, but one is the best grade you can get, and six. Yeah, it's like an A, and six is an F, basically. Yes, so <laughs> I think Kicker only has given Fs to two or three matches ever. He, he had to calibrate the machine, you know? He had to sort of turn a few dials and, you know, put fluids in various things and you know then the machine started got going yeah who knew that phosphate might work within onisivo but was swenson did <laughs> yeah, I, I, well it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because obviously dominic core and donny de costa who both are known from Eintracht frankfurt which are really shrewd pieces of business by i uh minds doing this transfer window they saw two players who didn't get an awful lot of playing time they convinced eintracht well this might be mutually beneficial for both of us 
And those two players have contributed immensely to uh, to Mice's success in the Rückrunde. But, you know, given that they've done just that, it means that Eintracht wants them back, obviously. So replacing those players and, you know, getting in new players and given the fact, as you mentioned, that they are selling clubs. So if, you know, the right offer comes for, for one of those youngsters, they're going to be gone. It, it might mean that we might not see performances as consistent as over the last nine weeks at the start of next season. Yeah, well, I mean, it, w- it will make for a nice story if they can keep it up. I remember the last time Mites were, you know, setting the league alight, you know, back, back. Uh, you ah, know, the Bruchweg boys. The Bruchweg boys, that's right. You know, the miming, miming guitar, drums, <laughs> vocals illustrious players who went on to somewhat great things. Oh, that, 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 that celebration at the, the, the corner flag in the Allianz Arena. Truly a magnificent moment. If, if you haven't seen that, go onto YouTube and find it now. Yeah, uh, I guess the one thing we're missing here is is a brief a brief chat about uh, what happened with Wolfsburg. Uh, they they beat Union Berlin three nil on the weekend. That certainly is is three points that is going to do them good, considering the the tough games that they have ahead. Josep Brekolo hat trick, first Bundesliga hat trick for the guy. Really great time to have his best game of the season. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's been sort of a topsy turvy season for him. He's been subbed off the pitch seventy times, uh, subbed on seven times, and not been included, or just been sitting on the bench for for another few occasions this season. Which, uh, you know, was his standards. Uh, you know, he wants to be a, a player. He wants to be shooting from the starting lineup week in and week out. It's it's not a tremendously great season, and uh, obviously, scoring your first hat trick in your one hundredth Bundesliga match is uh, pretty good timing, I would say, and uh, doing it. Whilst you are sort of needing those points to, you know, keeping up the buffer down to, you know, the other Champions League contenders, pretty, pretty important. Yep, yep. And this also muddies, this result certainly muddies the waters for Union Berlin's, hesitate to call it a campaign, uh, toward the UEFA Europa Conference League, which, you know, it seems there's like there's just not that much urgency to participate in that competition. Gladbach got waxed. Union uh, also uh, beaten pretty heavily. I mean, I, I guess Freiburg, who we'll talk about later, you know, could, we can say maybe they're mounting a push for <laughs> the UEFA Europa Conference League. Um, but the thing that actually I really want to talk about with Union is something I read about this morning, a German BuzzFeed in partnership with a, a newspaper in, in Brandenburg, uh, you know, the state that surrounds the city-state of Berlin, about something going on at the uh, the academy at Union, which I, I thought was pretty disconcerting. Uh, apparently, quite a few former players and their families have been getting a distinct impression over the last couple of years since since Andre Hofschneider, who's a you know former Union player and has worked in their sort of backroom staff in various positions a lot over the years, he took over their Nachwuchsleistungszentrum, the, you know, it's a German word for, you know, academy. And over the last couple of years since he took over, the percentage of players with, uh, you know, immigrant backgrounds has plummeted. And, you know, obviously there's tons of churn in these academies and, you know, players get let go all the time. That's, that's pretty normal. But there is a, a distinct pattern beginning to emerge, uh, perceived anyway. And, and they're beginning to earn themselves a reputation in Berlin as a club that is not friendly 
toward uh, youth players with with uh, you know immigrant backgrounds, which in a city like Berlin is not a good reputation to have. And it goes strictly against the sort of image that Union Berlin wants to portray, you know, to their fans and to the rest of Germany and to the rest of the world, really. I mean, this is a club that says it wants inclusion, it wants diversity, it wants to stand for the right values. Obviously, uh, if this is true, and there seems to be a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that it might be true, this is a poor look. And obviously, you have to find out what, what's been going wrong, who's responsible, and make adjustments. And it probably means that some hats have to roll in order to make amends for what's been going on over, over the last few years. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I know certainly my own, you know, the club that I support is, you know, the local rival of Union. So, you know, anything that I or anybody who supports Hertha says about this club is going to be interpreted in a certain way. But, you know, there is a pattern. There's a pattern in this club. There's a pattern that they they see themselves as de facto white knights, that everything they do is good and right and, um, you know, grassroots everything. And they are very slow to admit <laughs> anything, any mistakes that they might uh, have made. They are very slow to come to the realization that their shit might stink just like everyone else's. I mean, they are, uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, let's be, you know, to, to provide some context from from the other side here union berlin actually went out on their on their website and and said that these anonymously presented accusations by third parties about how players at the academy were treated are untrue but i mean the research on this uh, by tiger spiegel and a lot of other papers seems to be rather stellar though because what what it shows is that uh the youth Teams born in 2003 and 2004, they started out with a proportion of players of uh, Turkish and uh, Arab background of around 40% and more. And one Hofneider started getting going, uh, he cut it down to under 10%. And, you know, I mean, if you have such a large drop of, of you know, <laughs> one group of players that, you know, all they've got in common is basically that they're immigrants, you wonder well, might there be something else at work here? You have to. Yeah, yeah. And, and and like I said, if nothing else, even if they're blanket denials, which, you know, if you read some of the, 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 the commentary from the folks who put this report together at BuzzFeed, who, you know, had a long back and forth with Union in the process of reporting this, basically got a pretty unpleasant taste in their mouth the way that, that Union operated during the, the, the reporting process here. Even if they are right and there is no discrimination at work, the widespread perception of discrimination, which they are, are cultivating, let's, let's be honest here, is a terrible thing. Not only for the future of the club in terms of attracting good players, but the future of the club in the eyes of people in, in Berlin, in Germany, and globally. It's just, this is a bright line that you really, really can't cross, and you really need to work hard as an institution to get rid of even the impression of, of bias of any kind, because, you know, this is such a hugely important symbol for society. Yeah, I mean, if you had some sort of logical explanation like, uh, listen, 60% uh, of Hertha's youth team and they 
happened to be all white. They wanted to join us, and they, you know, they were five places up on the table compared to us, and suddenly we had to let, you know, 60% of our players go. Okay, fair enough. You know, it might go, it might hurt one group of players more than the other, but it's sort of a reasonable explanation. But when you say, like, well, you know, we just cut loose 30, over 30% of, of the Turkish and, you know, uh, other Muslim players for, you know, and, uh, you know, there's no discrimination, but they all just happen to be bad. That's not going to wash. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to wash. It's, it's not going to wash. And especially at a club, uh, let's remind ourselves, who already had a racism scandal this season with, uh, with a player, uh, with uh, Benjamin Hübner being accused of uh, racially, racially abusing uh, Nadim Amiri at uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Additionally, you had Cedric Teuchert uh, uttering the phrase, get up. We are still in Germany to uh, to black player of, of Bayer Leverkusen's. It you know it might seem harmless translated into English to some of some of our listeners, but you know the the, the phrase "we are still in Germany" is pretty much the go-to phrase of any sort of alternative for Germany idiot. It's very right-wing, and you don't want to be associated with that sort of uh, use of language. And yeah, he used it, and uh, surprisingly enough, he wasn't punished by the DFB. Yeah, well, the DFB. <laughs> Let's just say they have problems of their own. Maybe there'll be a special episode uh, at some stage because that's uh, it's a very large can of worms for us to uh, <laughs> open right now. Yeah, okay. Let's, you know, I mean, if, if we wanted to go to go on about what um, what the DFB, what, you know, what, what's aiding the DFB, we have to go all the way back to, you know, German World War II history. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, here's part two of Talking Foosball. You know, this is the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone, match day 32 in this case. And really most of what we need to talk about here is uh, relegation situation. We kind of, you know, dipped our toe into that uh, into that particular pool, I guess, bringing up mites earlier, although mites have kind of exited the relegation situation, not mathematically just yet, but they're very close. Much more embroiled in all of this is SFC. Uh, they um, were at home to Freiburg, and this was a completely wild game. It was a 4-1 win for Freiburg in the end, but uh, <laughs> that does not paint a very... I don't know, a uh, telling picture of how the game went, let's just say. I mean, Freiburg were up 2-0 after 20 minutes. They went into the locker room thinking, you know, maybe maybe we got this. Maybe uh, this is we just need one more goal and we can sort of put this away. But that confidence evaporated immediately early into the second half. Cologne got on the board. Nick, there's a lot more to come. What, what, what happened next? Yeah, next you got a penalty situation, which, you know, I find absolutely shocking because the, obviously... Um, that was a trash penalty. That was a joke. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I don't remember who was through alone on goal, but uh, obviously he it was, it was sort of cut by a Freiburg player and there was the slightest of touches and he just goes down. Well, he started and, going you know, down before he got touched, I think. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fair yeah, to say. Yeah, he does. 
He does. And, you know, um, the ref awarded the penalty and VAR came in and, you know, I, w- I was sort of watching that match together with a, with a mate and we was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be overturned. It was Ismail Jakobs. Ismail Jakobs, yeah, there you go. And, you know, the shock on our faces when this penalty wasn't overturned because we sort of like, has the referee in the stadium been watching the same replay that we've just been watching? Because obviously you don't need to have finished top of your refereeing class at the DFB to know that this is not a bloody penalty. But anyways, he gave it. And um, Duda then, you know, a bit of poetic justice, skied it. And, and you, but, you know, Kuln, they kept pushing and they actually, you know, there was another VR situation that then went, went against them. Yep, yep. Jonas Hector and, you know, the slices of touches with, uh, you know, pro- probably the arm or whatever you might want to call it. And, uh, yeah, so that meant that it wasn't going to be 2-2. And right after that goal that wasn't given, Freiburg scores two. So it, it was a wild, dramatic ride. And, uh, you know, don't just write off Cologne just yet because, you know, this scoreline, it tells the story of a team that pretty much has given itself up, but they definitely didn't look like one in this match. No way, no way. Yeah, I, I feel like um, their next game, Hertha. which happens to be against Hertha, yes, uh, I, you know, that that's going to be very telling uh, where that team is headed, where Hertha is headed. Cologne, if they're as up for it in that game as they are for this, it's going to be uh, pretty tough. It is going to be, and uh, I think Hertha are missing both both Cunha and Cordoba. Oh, dude. <laughs> Things, the so, wheels are coming off in terms of injuries, man. It's looking grim. And, you know, I think I think we can just get the Hertha game out of the way because there was both of us were watching that and we were sort of tweeting back and forth, uh, sending DMs and sort of like, oh, for fuck's sake, this is gruesome. This is really gruesome stuff. Yeah, it was ugly. It was it was a nil-nil game, you know, they, them and, and Bielefeld. I think the first half was okay, but the second half, I, it was like watching Hertha from February. Cordoba actually hitting, hitting, hitting the post while, while sitting down, which, uh, yeah. But the second half, absolutely dreadful. And we can get the other nil-nil game out, out of the way quite quickly too. But a Bremen mindset against Bayer Leverkusen. Well, in terms of shot production, Werder Bremen created 12 shots. None of them were of any sort of quality that would suggest that they should have scored. Bayer Leverkusen actually created a couple of decent scoring chances, didn't take them. In the end, uh, Bayer pro- probably would have deserved a win more. Well, not probably. They would have deserved a win more than Werder Bremen, but Werder Bremen kept hold of that one point, and uh, it means that the gap down to Cologne in, in 17th uh, you know, for the first time in a long time has actually been widened again from one to two points. So so those are the two nil-nil games of the match day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the games didn't uh, give us a whole lot to talk about. Uh, plenty to talk about, however, in, in, you know, three of the four teams taking part. Considering Bremen, Bielefeld and Hertha are all level on 31 points with each other. Yes. You know, they each also have games coming up against fellow uh, relegation rivals. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty heady mix, I think. Saturday, 50-13, I think one of some, you know, the, the two most exciting matches in terms of the relegation battle are probably going to be Augsburg against Werder Bremen and Hertha against Cologne. Obviously, if Augsburg loses against Werder Bremen, that means that you get another team dragged into the fight against relegation that we thought was through a few weeks ago already. And, you know, they could be getting back. And 
you know, they, they just fired their coach too. Uh, they fired Heiko Hörlich, brought in, brought back Marcus, Va- Marcus Weinziel, who's been there for the most successful era in the Bundesliga. But, you know, to be fair to Augsburg, uh, to, if we turn to that match, I, I think that um, they looked like a, a more attacking, a more lively side during those 90 minutes, creating a lot of chances, counter-attacking with a lot more purpose than they've done on a Hörlich. I mean, whenever I watched uh, Augsburg match under Heiko Hörlich, it seemed like Augsburg were always getting a goal through poor luck by, you know, their p- opposition's mistakes. Yeah. When you watch Augsburg under Herrlich, you pretty much regret the fact that you watched Augsburg under Herrlich. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just think, well, I could have just lined myself down in a, in a tub of bleach for the last 90 minutes and that would have been more fun than watching Augsburg under Heike Herrlich. It would have been more fun to, um, you know, work the graveyard shift at a, at an early inn and, you know, the morning shift at a graveyard in the same day. Then watching Augsburg under Heike Hörlich. But under Marcus Weinziel, I think, you know, I think, as I said, they, they counterattack with a lot more purpose. But um, again, it's it's the defense that's been letting them down over the last few weeks. And those, you know, things haven't really been sorted out just yet. But, you know, given that the guys just had a little over a week, maybe a little bit too harsh to expect that everything's just fine and dandy. Yep, I think Augsburg, if they can get past or at least get a draw with Werder, you know, they will at least save themselves from going straight down. But, you know, (laughs) things are wild in the last couple of weeks in the Bundesliga with that many teams involved. I'm, I'm more or less convinced that, uh, that Mainz is safe. I know that, you know, mathematically they could still get you know, pulled into the, the, the relegation playoff. But I don't know. Who do you reckon is going down and who's going to be playing in the in the relegation game? Yeah, if I, if I, if I had to put money on it right now, I would say that uh, Schalke and... Oh, really? You think Schalke's going down? Schalke's going down, yes. I'm, you know, probably not any betting companies taking bets on that anymore, by the way. Uh, Schalke and Cologne going down directly um, and Werder Bremen in the relegation playoff again. I think you're. I think you're probably right there. You know, Bielefeld is the, is the one that's I think a bit weird in here because they have Hoffenheim and Stuttgart uh, left. Both teams who are certainly a cut above them in terms of of talent and you know effectiveness this season, but both teams who you know maybe we could question their motivation at this point. So I, I definitely think Bielefeld being on 16th right now i have no real strong reason to think that they're gonna you know get out of that spot except for the fact that they you know have games against uh, a couple of mid-table whatever types at this point it really depends uh, on the motivation of, of the opposition there because obviously if they play to their best uh they are going to get past bielefeld if they don't Bielefeld might be in with a chance to get a point or even three. I mean, last season, at, at, on match day 34, to remind our listeners, Werder Bremen were in a really dire position there. They were in 17th. Uh, Düsseldorf was ahead of them in the table. And Werder basically needed to win with a big margin in order to make up some some of the goal difference that Düsseldorf had going in its favour, as long as Düsseldorf would draw. Or they needed to win and see Düsseldorf lose. And Düsseldorf was obviously playing against Union Berlin, who um, had nothing, absolutely nothing left to play for yet Union Berlin turned out and you know won the match and you know that actually made it possible for her to get out of the relegation places and get into that relegation playoff 
So, you know, that in itself, it, it really depends on if teams are coming out to play or if you have a bunch of players thinking, well, now that some of these island nations down there in the Caribbean are actually offering vaccine shots for rich tourists, I might be planning my vacation there this summer. <laughs> Fully vaxxed over here, baby. Fully vaxxed. Me too. Me too. And, uh, you know, if you get an offer to get vaxxed. Yeah, public service announcement from talking. Bloody better ball. take it. Pro vax. <laughs> All the way. Okay, quickly, we have, there's one more game that happened. I'm not sure what we need to say about it other than, my God, this was just another another just shot to the groin for Schalke, who took a 2-0 lead, a 2-0 lead in Hoffenheim, and then just absolutely rolled over 4-2 the final for Hoffenheim. Uh, I, th- I think Paderborn last season was actually the worst defense uh, in the Bundesliga in this millennia. Oh yeah, with seventy-five goals conceded since the you know the, the turn of last century. Schalke now at eighty with uh, three, not two, but three. That you know, remember that that game against Hertha probably coming up on Wednesday, maybe coming up on Wednesday. So they've got three matches left to concede goals in, and. Uh, yeah, I, you know, if you just take a quick look at this match, uh, all you need to do is to watch the highlights because Schalke actually take the lead. Uh, one nice move, one corner kick. Well, you think, great. They, they are somewhat in control. And then Hoffenheim get three different set pieces. One free kick from long range. Okay, fair enough. You can concede on those. But then it's a corner kick and then it's a free kick swung in from midfield. And, you know, corner kicks in midfield, especially free kicks swung in from midfield, those are the sort of situations that you should be able to defend. You know, you just should be able to defend. But Chalk have conceded so many set pieces that I've lost count on how many guns they've conceded this season on set pieces. And, yeah, that's basically what's done them, them in for, for a lot of those matches. And, um, you know, for, for you guys who are stats freaks, I, I got one funny... Side note, uh, I know we've not been particularly stat-heavy this episode, but here you go. Fun stat of the match day. Schalke have now used 39 players this season, which is a new club record. So you can't say that they haven't tried an awful lot in terms of finding the right mix of players on the pitch. Yep. Looking looking for love but in all the wrong places. Maybe, just maybe, that might also be where the problem has been lying this season as well. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, then, uh, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rental. Good to be back potting with you after a little break in the Bundesliga action last week, Nick. Yeah, always great to be back. And, and by the way, um, stay tuned on this channel for, for the Fantasy Guys uh, podcast coming coming out this, uh, I think, Thursday or Friday. And uh, I have to say, I just I just finished uh, reading uh, Flo Reinick's book about Werder Bremen, and I have to say... It's far more entertaining than Werder Bremen have been this season, and you should definitely, definitely buy it, even if you're not a Werder Bremen fan. I somehow thought you might be squarely in the target audience for Flo's book, so it's good to know that uh, (laughs) you looked at that little dangling uh, lure, (laughs) and and the hook got right into your cheek, and and you you got reeled in. Yes, I did, I did. uh, But, you know, it's uh, even... Even Derek McRae recommended it on Twitter. And, uh, you know, if, if there's a, <laughs> a stamp of approval you want, it's that one. I saw that. I saw that. Derek Ray, is, he, he never stops researching. All right. You can find Nick on Twitter at Norm Musings. You can find me at Mr. Matt Herman and the pod at Talking Foosball. We, uh, you know, we like it when y'all reach out. For more Foosball Entertainment product, uh, please 
you know, listen to me and Nick and uh, Terry DeFellin over on Patreon.com where you can support us with a little bit of your hard-earned cash. This week, for example, I think, and this is, you know, just a humble opinion from someone involved in the thing, I think it was a really great episode of Historic Match Day Moments about the hailstorm of goals on Match Day 32 back in 1983. We had lots of big names banging them in. It was exciting to even re-listen to it. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.